1: Taking a walk. And do what we do, and and do it well. You know, if you're a nurse, you're keeping people alive. My God, what is there a greater gift to, to the planet? If you're a teacher, look what you're doing. Oh my gosh, magnificent! I think we we all have that opportunity to take great great joy and pleasure in what we're adding to the planet.
2: Welcome to the Taking a Walk podcast, the podcast with music and industry insiders talking about their love of music. Buzz Knight is your host, and today he's joined by Louise Palinker. She's an app and podcast entrepreneur, co hosting the Media Path podcast. She's also a filmmaker and was co founder of the Premier Radio Network. Let's join Buzz and Louise next on Taking a Walk. Hi, Buzz. Louise, how are you? I'm well, how are you? Doing excellent. Thank you. Thank you for a uh, virtual edition of our. Taking a Walk podcast, I appreciate it. Uh, We have a lot to unpack in your illustrious career. But uh, let's start with growing up in Buffalo. Uh, How did that shape you as as being this uh, blend of content creator, inventor, entrepreneur, the whole ball of wax?
1: That's a good question. I don't think Buffalo had much to do with it other than how distant it was from anything that interested me. My dad was my dad made fur coats for a living. I wasn't interested in fashion or harming animals, but I loved everything about my dad. And I had a great childhood. So you know, everything that I wanted to do that was creative. I I felt like I wasn't talented enough to do in a school setting or in a community setting, but I was I had a lot of, for any birthday, I would want, like, a, you know, a Kodak camera or a Super 8 film camera or a Polaroid LAN camera or a tape recorder. So I was recording shows like I was making podcasts on my, on my cassette player. You know, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was just always creating something. And I, I felt like doing it in, in, with my brothers and sisters had less jeopardy than auditioning. You know, I was in all the plays, but I was always in the chorus, and uh, even when I went to college, I didn't have the nerve to say that I wanted to major in journalism, which, which is what I wanted to do, so I got a teaching degree, and so it, I was a late bloomer in that it really didn't start coming out of me professionally until I moved to California,
2: so early on, you uh, figured out the joy of creating things and the satisfaction that comes with creating. Um, do you remember the first time that that really hit you when you were growing up?
1: Uh, maybe it was saying things that were funny and adults laughing and then and recognizing that maybe there was some value in that, and that it pleased me and it pleased others. So maybe like getting a laugh at the age of two. Would, would be a version of it but let's see I, I i think i was i think it may have been those little radio plays like we would get comic books and then we would act them out in different accents on the, on the first i had a reel-to-reel little uh tape player and then i had a accept plate and i got my cousin lois and my my brother and sister joanne and craig involved and we would yeah we would do different accents and act out like those romantic comics that girls would buy because we we thought that they were so corny uh and then my sister and i created a a comedy duo that we called the stiffa sisters and they would sing in off-key harmonies (laughs) like 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 i had any idea of that the sweeney sisters would become a thing although they sang in, in tune we just were parodying, I guess, stuff that we'd seen on on some of the variety shows. We knew it was funny. We It was funny to us. Yeah, stuff along those lines.
0: <laughs> well,
2: if it's funny to you, then I'm sure it's funny to somebody else.
1: <laughs> I think my mother thought it was pretty clever. <laughs> and then we would also, we would choreograph the Osmonds and the Jackson 5. You know, we would... We would put on productions of The Sound of Music, and it, it, you know things of that nature. I, I, I really think since since birth, I, I I was doing. I had siblings who were creative, so I had teammates.
2: What did they end up doing in their career?
1: My brother it, it works on Broadway. He it, he he has always kind of been in Manhattan, working in the Broadway community. And he's extremely clever. And my sister, Joanne, is a graphic artist. Our older sister, Amy, interestingly, who didn't do any of these productions with us, I may have gotten her in the role of Jackie Jackson once. Who knows? But um, it could have happened. But she is a um, financial advisor.
2: And we know there's comedy involved there, right?
1: (laughs) Oh, hilarity. Sure. You know what people are spending their money on, and you have to keep it to yourself.
2: But you had this blend while you were doing all this growing up of um, figuring out uh, technical things in terms of, you know, the act of recording and all of that. Um, you had this other, you know, blend of improvisational skills, and, and uh, probably, in addition, seems like there was... Uh, Nothing you had in terms of uh, fear of failure is that accurate?
1: Hmm, fear of failure—that's a good question. I think I had what what may be the most important quality, which is a a drive to complete the, the the. I have the completion gene, and I think a lot of people have a lot of ideas, but they they're not always inclined to finish. But that may be a fear of failure or they get distracted or they get they get to a a – what seems like a barrier and they don't know how to get around it. I was always somebody that completed things. If I was working on a little radio show, like I would do my own versions of – remember those – I don't know your age, but there were those records that came out and it was like an interviewer asking someone a question – and then the answer would be a, a a clip of a song. I would make those about my family. They would always make it about some something that was happening in in uh, current events. And the, they would ask a question, and the answer would be like a snippet of a song. These are supposed to be hilarious. Like, well, I would make my own versions of them, interviewing members of my family, and then the answer would be. You know, like for, for my sister Amy, for example, I would ask her a question and she would just keep singing that Helen ready song, Leave Me Alone, Won't You Leave Me Alone, you know, because <laughs> Amy was too cool for, for us. Like, she was like borderline hippie. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think I was, I definitely had fear of failure when it came to auditioning at, at, for a school play. I don't think I gave my best performances. I didn't get a part, an actual speaking part in a play until I was a senior in high school, when I played The Mayor's Wife in Bye Bye Birdie, which is barely a speaking role. She mostly screams and faints. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I think because I probably completed so many projects on my own, I was really ready for around 2004 when we started getting all those tools kind of bundled in with our computer and you could actually take what was in your head and create it you could write a book you could record music you could make a movie uh, you could you know process your own photos I was really ready for that home those home tools because I was doing them with uh, (laughs) analog equipment as a child
2: and what were you doing uh, job-wise in 2004
1: um, by then, I had already created and sold a company called Premier Radio Networks. So, yeah, in the trenches, I had no fear of failure. I just did things because I, I knew that I could. Uh, so, but, like performing alone on a stage, for example, I I got finally back into that doing when I started doing stand up comedy. But it was all kind of like as the Premier Radio ride was cresting, and we were selling the company. That's when I started performing again, and that's when I started making a film about the cowsills, and that's when I wrote my own book and recorded my own album of my own songs. Um, it was really kind of like the, those bundles of tools that we were getting with our computers. I, I'm sure there's a lot of people that have a parallel track that were suddenly given a Mac computer with all these all these creation tools and started creating everything that had been in their minds, you know, this whole time. But, yeah, I was able to make my career in, in radio where I was being creative because we had studios. You know, we had all those analog tools, and we were creating uh, comedy that we would send to radio stations. We were creating countdown shows and music shows, and I was interviewing artists, and we were sending interview interviews, uh, Interviews to radio stations with all the the people that you get to meet and interview in Los Angeles Yeah, I've been
2: a uh, consumer of the premier radio network. I've been a client of them and uh, Probably share some of the same mutual friends that are part of that organization to this day. So uh, definitely uh, Very very familiar great people um So how did the genesis of creating Premiere come into your head, and what was the process?
1: Um, I was writing for Rikty's. I was writing the weekly Top 40 Countdown, which is Rikty's was uh, a top radio guy in Los Angeles, and he wanted to have a syndicated show, and I was, I think, maybe the the fifth writer. He had fired his first four writers, which I didn't realize. I had a job at a show called PM Magazine, which is a television, a uh, show that was syndicated, and he came on as a guest host. He liked the way I wrote, and one day I had a call from him while he was on the air doing his show. He kept putting me on hold to talk on the radio, or at which point I would turn to my coworker and go, "Oh my God," because I c- I couldn't believe this was happening. But and then you know there was the. He gave me the opportunity to come and write for him, which meant leaving TV and going into radio. So I had to give that some thought. But he he was doing comedy, which was really, by then, I was, like, 23. I, I knew this is where I want to go. I would like to be writing something funny rather than writing PM Magazine. And so I went, and that introduced me to fellow disc jockeys, Tim Kelly and Steve Lehman and Ed Mann. And we got to talking, and we... Tim had this idea that we could do something call, that we called the Plain Wrap Countdown, which would be creating tools that, you know, this is analog once again. So, you know, it helps disc jockeys to get to get tools. So we were creating tools for disc jockeys to perform their own Top 40 Countdown, where they would have interviews with all of the, the artists that were on the countdown. So we would give them the script, and we would give them the interview sound bites, and they could host their own show. And that was the genesis of Premier Radio Networks.
2: That's a great story. And uh, I have to think, uh, certainly knowing a couple of those uh, characters that you mentioned, particularly uh, Steve uh, Lehman, um, that the way he thinks and his sort of outlook on building things and as an entrepreneur uh, had to be really inspiring.
1: Steve definitely had that entrepreneurial spirit, and when and when uh, we started, cre- when Tim and I started creating the Plain Rap Countdown, he wanted it. He was doing a, what was called a mini feature called National Lampoon's True Facts. He was doing like a little, it would be like a little show with one commercial, and he he was a disc jockey at Kiss, and he he definitely wanted to create programming. And we when we started with the Plane Rap Countdown, he wanted to partner with us, and so that is what wound up happening.
2: So how long of a process was it uh, in terms of the, you know, beginning phone call you got about selling the network and then, you know, the culmination of the deal.
1: That's the Steve end of business. I'm in the trenches with all of the creators and I go to board meetings and I hear these things. You know, I always knew, Steve always said, like, the goal is grow the company, grow the company, which is a sentence I had never heard. But he was steeped in this stuff. So if it weren't for Steve, I would not I would not be where I am today. He was the person who had all of the business acumen, and I was in the trenches doing all the creativity. And Tim was kind of straddling both sides. So it it was alchemy. We really had a beautiful team. And... My trajectory would not have happened had I not encountered those two gentlemen. And then, uh, you know, along with Ed Mann and Craig Kitchen, you know, the people that you meet along the way that contribute, it, it's, it's chemistry because it, you, it requires certain ingredients in order for it to work. And we had them. And it was just like lightning in a bottle. So I'm, I'm eternally grateful to my premier brothers. They're, they're my, my brothers for life.
2: Are you still a board member?
1: No, it
2: we sold, uh, and
1: I, yeah. I i i don't even know if I have shares anymore. I mean, it was sold to uh, what is now iHeartMedia. Sure. We'll
2: be right back with more of the Taking a Walk podcast. Welcome back to the Taking a Walk podcast. Have you ever seen uh, Craig Kitchen, who happens to be one of the nicest guys in the world, but have you ever seen Craig be frustrated under pressure with anything? Because I haven't.
1: I mean, I have my version of what Craig looks like uh, under pressure, but it's not like what anyone else looks like under pressure. (laughs) He's just a magical person.
0: (laughs) You You know what, Craig...
1: You know, because my other partners did not have this, and I think maybe they learned some of it from Craig, was that he listens and he agrees with you and he validates what you're saying. Now, he may never do what you asked, but the point is that the conversation felt productive and you felt heard. And then whatever happened, you know, you adjust to. But my, I don't know where Craig learned to do that, but he really treats everybody like they matter. And I... I I learned from Craig that that's essential. I mean, that I mean, don't we all learn the qualities that we want to learn? Like, in other words, we encounter all kinds of people. They have all kinds of different styles. And I'd like to take what I love from, from each person and say, I like that. I like the way he um, handles this. I like the way he approaches that. And with Craig, I felt like he really understands how important it is for each of us to feel validated, to feel as if we're a part of what matters and what is contributing towards this success. And so you don't, like there's an improv rule. Have you ever taken any improv classes?
2: I have not.
1: So the one important improv rule that I'll teach you that you can take away if you like it is yes and. So you never say, no, that's stupid you say, yes, and we could also not drive the car off a cliff. You know, we could also think about maybe staying on the road. So, in other words, you you approve of what they've said, and then you add to it. So that someone will feel open to uh, volunteering their next idea. They won't feel hurt, humiliated, scared, and embarrassed, and you'll continue getting their thoughts, and that's, I don't know if Craig took an improv class or that's just naturally how how he knows what works best um, for success is to keep everybody plugged in. And so I, he just, I once asked him, like, how, like when he, when Steve left and Craig was running Premiere, he was left having to deal with all these guys at J.Core and, you know, they were the big radio guys and they had a different style. And Craig's and I, I said, so how much, how much of your life is running the company, and how much it is, is the politics of these waters that you're currently swimming in, and he said it was sixty percent politics, and I, I thought that that was a shame because because of Craig's various talents, that at the, those levels of things, so much of your life is just staying alive, uh, and. That made me sad, but it also validated my decision that it was a good time for me to leave and move on to my next adventure.
2: And the next venture was really launching the podcast Media Path, right?
1: No, Media Path is my fifth podcast. So I, I started doing stand up, I wrote a book, I recorded an album of my own songs, I, I, uh, I got into photography, I made a film about the cow sales. And I started podcasting with my friend Laura Swisher, and our our first podcast was called Weezy and the Swish, and then I have moved through various podcasts, and it really wasn't until Fritz Coleman retired from his job as the weatherman at at NBC Los Angeles that I started podcasting with Fritz, and that is our current show, which we are now on, episode 149 of Media Path Podcasts.
2: Congratulations. That's no small feat. Thank you. But going back to your uh, your childhood, and you, you made reference to this, you were always sort of fiddling with creating things, which was the genesis of uh, maybe, you know, your thinking on podcasting, uh, and then it probably made it easy for you to uh, be in that space. Is that correct?
1: Oh, I think absolutely. I I've been talking into a microphone until, you know, I mean, since... Probably I was seven. So that was, you know, even at premiere and I was behind the scenes, I still voiced a lot of stuff because the radio stations didn't know who was who. I did. Hundreds of different characters and I, you know, I wasn't the top voice performer, but, uh, you know, we were cranking out so much content that, you know, that was natural for me.
2: How difficult is it to build an audience with a podcast from your perspective? I certainly have my personal perspective.
1: Well, you know, it's extremely difficult because, you know, as I heard James Taylor say once to Oprah, not in person on the TV, I'm not name dropping, but he said, you know, anyone can get their foot in the door. There's just like millions of people inside the door. (laughs) So you know the dynamic has changed in terms of we we can all create we all have those tools on our computer we can all create a show but how do you how do you develop an audience how do you stand out and the, that's just tricky for everyone I mean I've I've pretty much tried everything that you're supposed to do hired uh, publicists and you know all the social media. You know, making clips and disseminating this way and that way, and tagging this and that, and you know, you believe and find me on TikTok with highlights from our from our podcast. So yeah, I mean, I think you just have to keep grinding and be consistent and have a show drop every week at the same time and uh, build build. I, I we have a YouTube version of our show, so you can see us in the studio, and then I add all kinds of visual elements do it, it using Final Cut since I know how to make films. And uh, I respond to every comment we get. I want people to feel involved and I want to build a community. But it, it is a, a lift, isn't it?
2: But it's so, it is, and yet it's so satisfying creating something, putting it out, you know, back to what got you excited uh, as a child about creating.
1: Yes. You know, and it it gives you every week that sense of completion, which is so satisfying. That, hey, I made something, and, and you know, I used to just show it to my mom and 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 my dad, and now, uh, you know, you, so it was like it, completion was running into the kitchen and playing something for my mom. <laughs> she was probably not all that interested, but you know, busy making dinner and being thing, the person she was, but, uh, I mean, I think raising kids is that, is that thrill of completion, right? Once they're grown, it's like, look at this. Look at, look at her. Look what she's doing. You know, so we get it in so many aspects of our lives, you know, it, what what we do, doing it well. Imagine driving by a house that you helped build and knowing that, that the brick is there because you put it there. I mean, I can't imagine how... how how satisfying that must feel that it creates shelter for people there's all kinds of ways to feel that sense of satisfaction and do what we do and and do it well you know if you're a nurse you're keeping people alive my god what is there a greater gift to to the planet if you're a teacher look what you're doing oh my gosh magnificent so i think we we all you know have have that opportunity to take great great joy and pleasure, and what we're adding, what we're adding to the planet.
2: What do you think the state of podcasting is now? There's been obviously some corrections that have occurred with uh, the strategy for some companies uh, around podcasting. What's your personal view of the state of the state?
1: I don't really know because I'm I'm on a we're, we're with a small network, and uh, they just they they publish us, and I, I think it's still a great sorting you know the 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 big sorting process of <clears throat> the 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 uh television in the 50s were you know at least there were already networks at that point but it was like the the battle was like how do we get TVs into more homes and you know what are we going to do and what kind of shows are people going to want to see and how do we measure what they like now it's like super easy to measure what they like you know the analytics are right, are right there but the, the the podcasting is everything from somebody talking into their voice memo recorder and, and publishing it and NBC making podcasts. It's the big guys are doing it. The little guys are doing it. So it's a, it's a great sorting of how, how, how is this going to be disseminated more clearly and, and uh, sorted into networks and sorted into categories and, you know, very searchable, Uh, you know, maybe Google's getting into the game of, like, having, you know, one of their search keys being podcast. Right now it's you can go from images to news to, you know, all and a few other categories, but maybe the podcast will be one of those pull-down, you know, one of those search tools where you'll type something into the Google search field and click podcast. And so you would then see, I think, a better sorting of everything about botany or, you know, whatever you want to find a podcast about. It'll, there's got to be a better, I would say, sorting tools and also conversation tools so that people listening to the same podcast can converse about it. And it, so it's, I think it needs better sorting, and that's probably what's in its future.
2: So what else are you working on these days uh, in terms of new projects? Any other documentary work?
1: Not right now. I mean, I had a documentary short that was in the festival circuit when the pandemic hit. And then during the pandemic, I started podcasting with Fritz. And and because Fritz is a household name in Los Angeles, and I want to, you know, be the best I can for this project, I'm putting all my energy into it. So... I'm I'm not t- teaching right now. I you know, a lot of stuff that shut down for the pandemic. I've I've kept shut shut down for me so I can devote my time to Path because the video version of this is like making a documentary once a week. You know, if you go to our YouTube page, which is at mediapath podcast, you'll see that uh, every episode if you put it up on on YouTube even if you put it up on the screen while you're making dinner or folding things it's it, every time you look at the screen. There's something to look at, and I think that may be it uh, in the future of podcasting too, where everything is sort of visual and you know audio only. You know, audio only or visual. If even like for your show, if you just wanted to have on the screen a picture of you, you know, it, people would, could be able to put it up on the wall, right? So that you know, have you gone into people's homes and there's just stuff playing that, that's coming out of the wall so there's like they've got a music playlist or whatever but you can look at a screen there's not much to see but at least you're playing it through your home system right so yeah i'm 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 pretty busy with this making it as visually interesting as possible but i i will make more documentaries i love that art form and i would i would love to make my next documentary i just i'm not sure what it will be just yet
2: Well, my last question, uh, Louise, is do we send Craig Kitchen a bill? That's really the question.
1: Um, I don't know if he's good for it, you know. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. (laughs) Uh, He is the best. I love that guy. And so, uh, you know, I think we, you know, maybe send him a bill that would be like what these royalty checks that folks are getting, these writers are getting, maybe for two or three cents. Yeah, I would send him that. (laughs)
2: Wheezy, thanks for being on Taking a Walk. Appreciate it. It was a lot of fun.
1: Oh, I enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Taking a Walk podcast. Share this and other episodes with your friends and follow us so you never miss an episode. Taking a Walk is available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts.